0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Top 1000 Funds podcast collaboration with the PRI, Sustainability in a Time of Crisis. This series is brought to you with the support of Rubico, and I'm Amanda White, editor of top1000funds.com. The COVID-19 global health and economic crisis has highlighted the need for leadership and capital to be urgently targeted towards the vulnerabilities in the global economy. The issues of sustainability have never been more important, and it's an essential time for investors to be collaborating for better corporate behaviours and economic outcomes. Mm -hmm. This series explores these issues, as well as the actions that investors can take to ensure the recovery is a sustainable one. I'm joined today by Chief Executive of the PRI, Fiona Reynolds, and Maja Zandenbergen, who is Head of Sustainability Integration at Rubico. Thank you both very much for being here. Today, we're going to look at what a sustainable recovery looks like, what leadership around that looks like, and what investors can do to engage with policy policymakers, but also what investors can do to create change within the finance industry and their own organisations for a more sustainable future. Maja, I might start with some questions uh, directed towards you. Thank you very much for being with us today. How's everything for you in Rotterdam at the moment?
1: Well, things are actually not too bad here in uh, in the Netherlands. We're we, we, we are still, you know, out of the first wave. And um, yeah, I expect there will be a second wave, but it's not there yet. So uh, we're all starting to move a little bit back to the office uh, with 25% of people um, back in the office. Um, and yeah, enjoying relative freedom, I would think, compared to, to the lockdown that we've had. That's good to hear. So we're attempting to cover some very big
0: issues in this conversation, and I'm hoping you can create a bit of a framework for us to to begin the conversation. Can you outline for us what you think the key pillars of a sustainable recovery are, what the future should look like and how that might be different from today. And then we can break down some of those elements further and discuss the pathway to achieving those outcomes, which might actually become goals that we can set forth for the industry from this
1: conversation. Uh, Thanks, Measure yeah so i see three long term uh, important trends that that really need to be addressed um and they they are not different from before covid i think it's climate change it's loss of biodiversity and it's it's rising inequality um uh, but this crisis has really very well laid bare uh, the fact that we have these flaws in our society and in our specifically in our current economic system And I think in the future, we need to prioritise differently. We need to prioritise to fixing these issues and building more inclusive and more green economies and have faith and take leadership and have the vision that this will lead to good economic outcomes. So we need to change our priorities a little bit, I think. But that really requires a vision and it requires leadership. And it also requires consumers, companies, investors and governments to adapt. And we could go into all of these, uh, maybe later on further in this discussion, how they can actually all help uh, to, to build towards a more sustainable recovery.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, a great starting point. And we will go into more detail, not only about how the individual players can, can play a role, but also how we can bring that all together and actually um, cooperate together for um, a better impact. But before we kind of get into the detail, Fiona, is that your view too? What do you think are the key elements of a sustainable recovery? What does a sustainable global economy look like? And perhaps more importantly for this audience, what are the elements of a sustainable future for the finance industry?
2: Well of course I agree with everything that's just been said, Uh, furiously agree. But I think overall we need to create really a new green social contract between governments, businesses, investors, civil society, obviously workers and their representatives. I do think that creating a sustainable global economy will require a shift in thinking, though, and we need—we are seeing this shift, but it, we, it needs to accelerate it. So I think we really need to see a shift away from the outdated sort of Friedman economic theory where really the sole purpose of a company of a business has been maximising shareholder profits to really include a much wider set of stakeholders and to really I mean what should the role of a company be the role of a company should be about driving forwards its purpose it shouldn't be just about maximizing shareholder returns you can make returns while whilst also making sure that you're delivering on your purpose and while this shift is happening I think we need to see more of that And then we also need to create a sustainable recovery from COVID-19, which to me is really two words. It needs to be both green and inclusive. There's a lot of discussion about green, not so much about inclusive. If we think about what do governments across the world need to do in a time of recovery, what needs to be their focus, and then how do we tap into that? Because one of the things that all governments are going to need to do is create jobs, and they also need to think about revenue because revenues are obviously down. So this, to me, means that we need to ensure that as we're driving forward the transition to a low-carbon economy, uh, that we also need to create the green jobs and the skills that we need for the future. We need to be use this opportunity really to create an economy a society and a workforce for the 21st century i think if we if we're talking about green issues and we talk which you know obviously we need to do but we're not talking about the creation of the workforce of the future that will have problems because no one wants to see more people out of work at the moment uh, I think we also need to use this opportunity to take to touch also on labour market reforms and job security. I think what we've seen through COVID nineteen is far too many issues arising from jobs that have been in the you know in the gig economy, far too much outsourcing of responsibility about people and their work and not giving people proper job security, access to healthcare, access to sick leave, these things need to go. And then I think on the revenue side, um, coming back to the fact that governments need to have more revenue coming in the door, it's a perfect opportunity around the world to be thinking about setting a meaningful carbon price, call it a tax, call it whatever you want to, but also removing fossil fuel subsidies. The IMF says that we spend more than $5 trillion globally on subsidies to the fossil fuel industry, so it's 6.5% of GDP. So to me, if we could create more revenue through a carbon tax plus remove uh, lots of those subsidies, that would add up to quite a significant amount of money. And the other thing that I keep talking about, of course, is that we need to look at the whole issue of tax. There's far too many companies who don't pay tax We need to, as investors, focus on tax transparency and uh, fair tax policies as well. So these are the things that I think that we need to focus on. And there has been a lot said on this issue, and we're seeing a lot of governments talking about these things. We're seeing business, we're seeing investors. We're all saying the right things. However, despite the sort of rhetoric that we must build back better and support a green recovery. Unfortunately, government actions thus far are often not matching up. So research from the Energy Policy Tracker shows that at least 151 billion of bailout money has been spent, spent or earmarked so far to support fossil fuels by the G20 only around a fifth of this spending is conditional on environmental requirements so it's in one way you might be able to you might be saying well we will give you bailout money but on the condition that you're bringing in these particular measures that doesn't seem to be happening enough as well so i think this really flies in the face of government's public commitments to the paris agreement and i think as the investment community we're getting more and more concerned about this because As I've said many times, we've got two ways to go. We either lock in high-carbon pathways with this recovery money or we use it to accelerate the net-zero carbon-free economy that we need for the future. And I'm not convinced at the moment that we're completely going in the right direction.
0: So perhaps a lot of talk still but not so much walking and, and I'm interested you know, on how investors can and and private capital can play a role and come into that. measure. you've previously said that um, rebooting the finance industry towards a sustainable future requires a lot of work and collaboration, new ideas and leadership. So let's talk about the specific role of investors in that. And as Fiona mentioned, investors can be directing capital towards the green economy. Um, They can be engaging with companies for better outcomes. But when we look internally at the practices of the finance industry, what are some of the key things that need to change for a more sustainable future in that sense? you know, What are the elements of a sustainable recovery within the finance industry? Is it reducing executive pay within the investment and finance industry? Is it a cap on profits at sell-side firms to change short-term behavior? Is it a focus on equality and diversity? Major what do you think the more important things are for the finance
1: industry itself to be focusing on? I think Fiona already mentioned it in her answer and on, 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 on her, uh, before, uh, it requires a uh, change in thinking. I think that's the most important uh, element um, and we need a few things for that. Uh, we need academics to build new models. Uh, that are not only mac- about maximizing monetary profits, but also incorporate transition theory, the value and the value of ecological and social capital. Now, that's easy said, it's difficult done. So we at Rubica, we um, we are a member of the um, sustainable value creation platform of the Rotterdam School of Management. And actually one of the most important topics that we want to address is really building those theoretical frameworks. Um, to make sure that there is, um, you know, education on, on that, and that, that students and young people can look differently at these issues, and they are already looking differently. I, I think that's also important to mention. Um, uh, but we need to make sure that finance students, for example, get a broader education than only the neoclassical financial theories, but also incorporate more um, elements of sustainability, maybe even some some philosophy or some some ethics, more ethics. So really make make those studies broader and actually out of the platform of sustainable value creation, we sent a letter to uh, to all the deans in the Netherlands to really um, yeah um, raise this issue. And we're having a follow-up meeting with them to see how we can collaborate in getting that better into the into the curricula of the students. So that's so that's the first thing. Really start at where, you know, start at the start. What are people learning at, at university? Then I think the second thing is really, you know, you need to truly integrate sustainability in all of your investment decision making. And that also requires a lot of investments. It requires investments in research. Um, a lot of we are seeing the start of that now, but still I see a lot of asset managers still, you know, getting a data set from an external provider and then applying that to their process. Um, but that's really outsourcing your ESG opinion to a data provider, and I think you know it's a responsibility of the asset manager to really think about these issues themselves because they're also you know changing all the time. Uh, so it requires thorough research and resources uh, when it comes to ESG integration, uh, and also requires having a a longer-term view. Um, We recently uh, talked to Paul Pullman, and um, what he did, uh, the former CEO of Unilever, what he did when he came in in 2009, at the height of the economic crisis, the first thing that he did, he said, I'm not going to give any more short-term guidance. And that was because he wanted to manage the firm for the long run. And only focusing on short-term was really keeping the company from thinking about how they can actually create value in the long run. So I think this is, this is a very important part and it's very difficult for investors that are being held accountable for quarterly uh, performance by their clients um, to try to get that focus on the long run. But I think, you know, that's the only thing that you can do if you really want to, you know, be serious about sustainable investing. Um, And then Another thing is also probably diversity of the uh, finance sector. So I'm not sure if you noticed, uh, but we are here, three women, talking about sustainability. This happens often uh, when it comes to to sustainable investing. um, And... um, yeah we, we, I think we more or less bring a little bit that diversity of thinking to the finance sector, but the balance is still not, um, not right. So we need more people that are able to, to think uh, differently. So maybe have different backgrounds, come from different studies uh, and, and, and bring them into the finance industry. So these are a few, uh, you know, few ideas that I have that I think, yeah, we start, we need to work on uh, to really make sure that that we change the way the finance industry thinks because I think that's the most important thing, change of thinking. And and good to see some of those actions actually taking
0: place at Rubico as well. And and I love that story about talking to the deans of of the schools. And um, Fiona, what do you, what do you think? I mean, what are you seeing in in terms of uh what asset managers are doing proactively and and what do you think that they should be focusing on
2: well i completely agree that one of the things that we need to see is that sustainability is properly invested um sorry embedded is what i meant to say into uh, the investment process so we see some of that happening but I can't say that we, say we can say that every single investor is really deeply embedding sustainability. I think we've got a long way to go before that happens. But I would also add that we need to have far more focus on social issues because I think – that the issues of inequality and human rights, we have a long way as, a, as an investment community to address. So there's been lots of focus on climate issues over the last five years, and that's right. We, we have needed to focus on those, and we still need to do a lot more. But I think we need the same kind of attention and urgency spent on social issues. I think that, obviously, in the midst of, the, of a global climate emergency escalating inequality and the COVID-19 pandemic. Many voices including myself are calling for a more human-centric model or a new social contract and I really think that this is paramount to address the inadequacies and unsustainable nature of our current financial and economic system. So that to the PRI um, we really look at international human rights standards and are trying to embed them much more into the work that we do. So we've set out a five-year program, a five-year agenda, to ensure that the respect of human rights are implemented across the financial system. Many do it well, but not all. So for us, this means embedding the UN Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights, or the UNGPs as they're known, into the process. And really the UNGPs consist of three pillars. So it's about the state's duty to protect, the corporate responsibility to respect, and that includes investors, and access to remedy. So the five-year program that we're, we're about to launch really first of all starts with understanding. So really making sure that investors understand the UNGPs and how to implement them. Then in the second and third year, it's really about transformation. So mainstreaming investor implementation of the UNGPs. And then year four and five, it's about respect so that all PRI signatories respect human rights as they're defined in the guiding principles and that we start to embed that more as well into our reporting we see more happening uh, around these issues.
0: Thanks, Fiona. Very much interested in, in staying in touch with you on that uh, on that launch and the, the new five-year program. Yeah. Um, let's talk now for a little bit about the different players in the system, and we've already mentioned this a couple of times, we've got investors and corporates engaging, uh, and clearly there's also a big role for governments to play. So at the moment, on one hand, we've got a new green deal in Europe, paving a way, clear way for a sustainable investment. And then, then on the other hand, in the US, we've got the Department of Labor effectively rejecting ESG. Institutional investors are global investors, do you think it's important we've got a global level playing field on these issues from a regulatory point of view and what's the role of investors in helping to ensure that happens fiona i might start with you
2: yeah well, you're absolutely right in calling out the stark contracts contrast that exist in the maturity of global markets with regards to esg and sustainability um, europe and the us being the perfect examples um you know, the, the Department of Labor has obviously come out just recently with some new rules that they're intending to put in place in terms of ESG. And I really think that, in fact, these are the single biggest threats to responsible investment today. And they may really make no sense. And they lack an understanding about ESG integration. They're really confusing ESG with an asset class, which it's not and they're not really looking at all of the research. We all know what all of the research says, that even recent research um, that's been put out by organisations black, like BlackRock point to the fact that ESG is not about giving up returns. You know, BlackRock research showed that 85% of sustainable indices outperform standard indices. And so this is a concern from the point of view of, you know, will this have quite a chilling effect on the market, particularly in the United States, about innovation, product innovation around ESG issues. Because you will have to document much more about what you do around ESG factors, will that mean that the market will go backwards? Of course, investors are global. Of course they are. And you know, if you're if you are an investor in Europe and you use a manager in the United States, you can you're not going to leave your sustainability issues behind. But I don't think it's still very useful. We're coming at, at things from very different different points of view. I think the good news though is that sustainability in the corp and the incorporation of ESG issues into the investment process, regardless, have made huge gains over the last decade and have really picked up speed in the last few years so sustainability is just rising in prominence across most markets and for many people I think ESG investing has really passed its first real test so from COVID-19 you know what happened in markets well we're seeing that uh, sustainable companies are outperforming we're seeing that there's more of a flight into ESG funds. We're seeing that people really understand the interconnectedness of issues. But I think in the face of serious market disruption that is COVID-19, we also haven't seen um, a reversion to traditional strategies or an abandoning of ESG integration. And investors and business are talking, and governments are talking about sustainability um, even more. I think of course that investors have really got a couple of levers that they can pull and globally and they need to use them obviously how they allocate capital their engagement with the, uh, companies that they invest in and obviously if you're an asset owner the engagement with the investment managers you have about your expectations and obviously we have leverage with governments as well and we I think we need to be using that more um, how do we make sure that we're engaging with governments around sustainability uh, issues because when I think about the issue in the United States, Amanda, I can only think, why are you doing this? So it seems to me that it can only be political or that a certain lobbying group of corporations are winning the day over the rest of us. So I think we need to play uh, a bigger role in our engagement with policy with makers.
0: Thanks, Fiona. Major, you're based in Europe, but presumably... Also, um, watching watching closely the the US and have a, a business there and clients there. Can you yeah. comment on on this
1: latest move by the Department of yeah. Labor?
0: Yeah,
1: I mean I, I cannot agree more with Fiona. Uh, when you look at the at the um, at the text, it clearly it clearly shows that there is not a very good understanding of what ESG integration means. Uh, and and I completely agree so I, I don't have a lot to add there uh, when we when we look at Europe I think um maybe we we are going a little bit too far in terms of the granularity of of, of what the European Union is is looking at, but at least we are trying to come up with some kind of standard and some kind of uh, promotion of of green finance. And I think that is a very, very good um, um, development. Um, And I also want to say it's not only investors But it's also companies that need a reliable regulator when it comes to um, building uh, green and inclusive societies. So I think that's also quite important if you're a company... And um, you know, you're building your business. You're making your long-term uh, capital decisions based on regulation. It needs to be stable and it needs to be reliable. So I think that's also quite important. Um, but having all said that about the uh, about governments. Um, and also I see the same thing that, that Fiona is seeing, that we're actually doing more and more um, engagement with governments, which in the past we really we really didn't do, but uh, also thanks to the PRI and the collaborative engagement there, uh, we're doing a lot more now and it's it's, it's obviously very needed. Um, I also think we cannot hide behind the fact that governance, governments are maybe not doing enough. Um, You know, in in transitions, and it's such a transition that we're going through now, uh, governance will probably always be lagging behind. Um, And investing is really looking ahead uh, and not looking back. So I I completely agree with Fiona that the train really has left the station. Clients, society, everyone uh, thinks sustainable investing is important. And if you're not on the train, then then uh, you will be left far behind. So, um, yeah, I prefer to take, to take the view that, we, that we, we do what we can within the, the regulatory frameworks that we have.
0: So, so let's look outside the regulatory framework then and, and, and perhaps what's possible in terms of investors' ability to create change, for example, in, in, de- in terms of demand for alternative energy. And we've seen some very effective engagement and, and Major Rubico has been involved in some of those, including with Shell, which was very effective. What do you think is the most effective way for investors to be heard? And can you tell us a little bit about um, those successes?
1: Yeah, I mean, there are many ways for investors to create this kind of impact. Um, First of all, we allocate capital to certain companies um, and we give a signal by doing that. Um, we have lots of discussions internally, uh, how effective that is um, and how much impact we're actually having, uh, but the general belief is that that we're having an impact there. So we, we have to think about where, where we allocate our capital. Um, and that's thinking about, you know, what type of company should we exclude, what type of company should we engage with. Um, and I think that bar is being raised all the time uh, when it comes to exclusions, for example. Um, But one very important element indeed is also uh, active ownership, Um, and specifically, and I'm very and I'm actually very optimistic about that. And I I hope Fiona is as well. We are seeing um, many, many, many more asset managers and asset owners being involved in collaborative engagement. And um, this is very positive because we can put the whole, you know, the, our whole weight uh, of the asset management industry uh, behind this this, uh, this topic of sustainability. Uh, what I do see is that we need more people to take the lead um, because, you know, these big collaborative engagement like Climate act- Action 100 plus, uh, talking to so many companies. You know, someone has to do the work. Someone has to take the lead. Um, and some of the examples that I have where we where we taken the lead, but were able to to profit from the fact that everyone was joining in is, for example, um, the uh, the new board member that we uh, that we um, we got um, selected at Enel in Italy. Um, last month, but also in the Netherlands, where we successfully lobbied against a remuneration package of a Dutch company, and that was actually also rejected. Um, so I think um, these collaborative engagement efforts are really uh, starting to, uh, to become very, very effective. Uh, and uh, this is really one of the most effective ways, I think, that investors can create change.
0: So we can't mention... A sustainable recovery without mentioning the SDGs. And we held a, a global conference in June where we had about 500 investors participating online and we served the, surveyed them about the SDGs. 34% said they already align their investments with the SDGs or plan to in the next 12 months. And a further 41% said they're having discussions around this now. So what, what's your advice to investors in terms of their focus on the SDGs and, you know, that 41% that are having discussions and haven't yet done it and, and you know, the further 25% that, that aren't even thinking about it yet, should they be focusing on a handful of SDGs or looking more holistically at their impact? What's your advice in terms of how to incorporate that? Fiona, I might start with you there first. So I really think that in the current context, the SDGs
2: have never been more important because they really do address all of the issues that are the most important things in the world. And a lot of those have just been made more and more important given COVID-19. I think investors obviously have a key role to play in realising the SDGs they have a number of significant levers for impact and having clarity on where and how they can affect change is critical because much of the investors impact happens through others. And we're already seeing that investors are using those key levers to help meet the SDGs, both through the actions they take individually and collectively. And as talked about the collective work that investors think more and more about. But in order to realise the full potential of investor impact, we really need to reframe the way we talk about our leverage and interaction with the SDGs so that we focus not just on risk and return, but more more broadly we think of, about risk return and impact. So it is not just about what are the ESG impacts on my portfolio. We need to move that thinking to to in line with the SDGs that says, what is the impact of my investments on the people, on people and planet? And many investors are shifting that thinking, so they're adding that third dimension, risk, return, and impact. And at the PRI, we believe investors' leverage really enables them to shape outcomes in the real world, both in terms of increasing positive outcomes but also decreasing negative ones. So to help investors that are seeking to shape outcomes in line with the SDGs, we've recently launched our investing with SDG outcomes frame um, report, and it's got a, a framework that's there that's really in five steps. And the five steps take you through identifying outcomes, um, setting policies and targets, How to then start shaping outcomes in line with those targets? How do you, you know, move from individual actions to collective ones and really start to shape outcomes within the financial system as well as within corporations? And then, you know, how do you collaborate globally with a whole range of stakeholders because investors can't meet the SDGs on their own. As I said, they've got some influence, but they don't influence everything. And it's really that working together with business, with government, but also with academia, with NGOs, with civil society more broadly to achieve the SDGs. So within our reporting framework, so um, everyone who's a signatory to the PRI has to report on an annual basis against a whole lot of indicators around the activities that they take. And in the past, the reporting framework has been very much about the process and the policies that you have. So how do you go about integrating ESG issues into this particular asset classes. So tell us about that and tell us the policies that you have in place to do it. With the new reporting framework that we've been consulting on and will roll out from January, it has a core component that looks very much at these processes but it also moves into thinking about outcomes and so there will be a plus component that starts moving this discussion, moving the direction and moving the way that we report about these things. And I do hope and think that this will uh, help accelerate the discussion and the implementation of the SDGs. Because we've got some fantastic signatories doing some great work around the SDGs, but not all of them are. And if we think about the fact that we're in 2020, soon to be 2021, And this is a 2030 agenda. Really, we haven't got a lot of time. So, acceleration of SDG actions is key. And they're key to us really having a far more sustainable future and creating that new green social contract that I was talking about.
1: Yeah,
0: thanks, Fiona. I know a lot of investors I've spoken to recently are really finding that simple but powerful uh, vernacular using the word outcomes is actually um, very helpful for them in in framing that and moving beyond risk and return major what do you think a- a- about that um, I mean not just your advice to investors in terms of their focus on the SDGs but specifically changing this language beyond risk and return and, and including impact or outcomes based um, yeah, well,
1: I don't want to sound boring, but I I agree. It's actually part of our mission and our vision, where we say, okay, you know, there's no economic growth without uh, without um, ecological and social assets being uh, preserved. Uh, and actually, you know, the, the the investment industry is creating beyond moving uh, beyond creating only wealth. It's moving towards also creating wealth and well-being. So I couldn't agree more. Um, and maybe even a third step could be that. That's, you know, where we, and I think I already mentioned it earlier, but if you prioritize, let's say, solving. Uh, some of the issues that we have, and those companies that are actually playing into those trends, I mean, maybe maybe that's even a much better risk-adjusted return that you're getting there than you know with traditional investing. So you know, moving from ESG integration to moving to impact, to actually moving to to only impact, and then uh, risk return. I don't know. That's my personal belief. Maybe that even uh, is, is is the next step that we're going to see. Uh, I'm also. I would like to uh, say to Fiona, I think it's very brave that you are embedding outcomes in the reporting framework because I know where the PRI comes from. It comes from very aspirational principles. And now actually, you know, asset managers really need to show the outcomes of what they are doing. And this is the discussion that we've had for many years already, where sustainable portfolios almost are exactly the same as non-sustainable portfolios. So then the question is, you know, what are you, what are you achieving uh, by this? So I think that is that is a very good development, and um, yeah, uh, yeah, I would only em- embrace that.
0: Maybe next time I need to get um, people on the show who disagree with each other. Yeah,
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. um, I think that would be a good good thing, yeah.
0: so I just I want to finally just ask you both to give the investors listening today a couple of key tangible takeaways. So what do you, what do you think of the let's say three things that they can do to to have a role in ensuring that we do actually have a more sustainable future? What, what do you think? Sort of you know three really sort of tangible things they can write down and, and put up on a whiteboard and 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 use as a as a guiding light, Fiona. What do you think?
2: Well, firstly, I think it's how you how you allocate your capital has to be number one. You know, you can make decisions about the companies that you finance and the projects that you finance and think about the direct impact that they have on the real world. That's essential. And I don't think enough of that happens still at this time. I think, secondly, it's through stewardship. We know that that's a very important tool and a lever that investors have and Marja talked about the fact that there's a lot more happening in terms of collaboration and and this is where we're trying to move all stewardship so that instead of having um, people just sort of um, doing sort of box ticking engagement with companies and that it's not really on big systemic issues and it's all individuals going off and wanting different things that we're much better as an investment industry a responsible investment industry about being clear about what we're trying to achieve and then all working together and pushing in the same direction and focusing on our, our efforts on the big major issues and then making our voices clear through that engagement with policymakers as well I think that is going to be essential at the moment, to say, as the investment community, these are the things we want and expect from the recovery. And we will be here and we will support you, governments, as you do this. But if we don't back that up with action, then it's just meaningless words. So we then need to be prepared to act and allocate our our capital differently. I think that's essential.
1: Major, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I, I, say, I think uh, what is very important is that we take sustainable investing seriously, and uh, really seriously, uh, and not just because your clients want it, but because you see that it actually makes financial sense, but also that, indeed, uh, there, are, there are issues that we really need to solve as a society. So really take it seriously. Put a lot of effort and serious resources and research research, research efforts into the topic Uh, Because I already mentioned, uh, collaborative engagement is is good, but someone needs to do the work, so uh, be prepared to do the work. Um, and uh, what we already talked about, make sure you question the outcomes. So start the discussion. If you're selecting a manager that says that they're integrating ESG, uh, look at their portfolio. What it, which stocks are in the portfolio? It can be stocks that have low ESG scores, uh, but then start a discussion and ask them. So how do you how have you integrated ESG? Why have you still bought the stock? Uh, how do you look at these companies? Because I think that is that is the, the conversation that we should have and that we are not having enough yet I couldn't agree more about the
2: allocation that is given to staff who are ESG specialists within investment management and asset owners it's so minor and then they're expected to do everything So they've got to work with all of the teams about the integration. They're supposed to be the steward, you know, working on all of the stewardship program. They're supposed to be the people who also engage with government. So their brief is huge and it keeps growing and growing and growing all the time as sustainability grows, but they don't get the extra help and support that they need. And I do think that anyone who wants to be serious about responsible investment and embedding sustainability deeply has to invest in the same way in the people and the skills that they need uh, that they do in other parts of their business.
0: Great. I hear you. That's a very, very clear message, I think, and I hope people listening really do take this on. This is a real opportunity for the global investor community to create change and to create a future that we want, the future that we want to live into. So this conversation has been an absolute pleasure. You've both been very generous with your time. Thank you once again, Rubiko, for supporting this and for the PRI and partnering with us on this project, Maja and Fiona. Thank you both very much.
1: Thanks, Amanda. It
0: was a pleasure to meet you. Thanks, thanks Amanda, and thanks, Marsha. It was great to talk to both
2: of you, and uh, let's hope that we see some really some moving forward in terms of the recovery and that it is, in fact, green and inclusive, and
0: we all need to stay on the case to make that happen. Great. Thank you both very much.